0: Okay, so good evening, lovely to see you again and I really hope that you feel supported in your retreat, that you really feel you you have a good environment here, a virtual environment in our cultivation of the Brahmaviharas and as you might have guessed the plan for tonight is um, that i would like to speak about mudita appreciative joy which is another form of universal empathy we could say and as i've mentioned this morning usually this brahmavihara, vihara the mudita comes after metta and karuna compassion so it's the third one usually, and then it is followed by equanimity. And Christina mentioned that compared to the other brahmaviharas, Viharas, Mudita often receives somehow less attention. It is not so famous, not so prominent like friendliness or compassion or even equanimity. And we, we do find fewer texts on it or fewer books that really specifically address this theme. Yeah. But really, that doesn't mean that joy or appreciation is less important than the other Brahma Viharas. Really, not at all. Like the other Brahma Viharas, mudita is a beautiful quality of our heart and mind, a beautiful way of being in this world of relating to other beings. And it is a very uplifting quality. It really has the ability to inspire our heart, our mind, because it sees what is good, what is beautiful, what is kind in this world. Often the translation we find is sympathetic joy, So the ability to rejoice in the good fortune that we see in others, and the wish that this good fortune may continue and grow. But Mudita is not only concerned with the happiness of others. That too, of course, it is an important aspect to be able to appreciate the good fortune of others. But actually underlying it and even a prerequisite of it is the ability to appreciate, the ability to first of all, see what is beautiful, uplifting, wholesome. How do you want to appreciate what's good for others if you move through your days with a gloomy or angry mind without eyes for anything that is beautiful? In such a mind state, you will likely rather see what is bad, what is not good. You know, the weather is dreadful, the food doesn't taste good, people around you are getting on your nerves. So mudita can be sympathetic or empathetic joy, but we could also call it appreciative joy or joyfulness. It is really this quality that sees what is good, that celebrates what is good. It arises when friendliness, metta, encounters goodness or wholesomeness or happiness. Mudita is an unselfish form of joy because it's not about me or my profit, my status. But it is just such a natural gladness or joy when our heart-mind is open at ease. And one example for mudita is the joy that parents feel when they see their child grow up, when they see the baby maybe smiling at them for the first time. And then they see how the small child begins to crawl and to walk and to say the first words and it starts to he or she starts to explore the world it's just this delight in seeing a human being growing up and discovering the world that's beautiful so different from other forms of joy mudita is really a form of joy that is not self-centered it's it's a pure form of joy you could say and it also has a purifying effect on our heart-mind. And Mudita is also, like all the Brahma-Viharas, also the expression of an awakened heart-mind, a heart that is really able to see the joys and the sorrows in the world, and that is really able to resonate with both of them. And there is a nice simile for Mudita by Bikuanalayo. Sympathetic joy would be comparable to sunrise in the early morning. The birds are singing merrily, the air is fresh, and the surroundings are illuminated by the rising sun and appear as if pervaded by joyful delight. At times, the rays of the sun touch a dewdrop on a flower or tree and break into a myriad of colors. In the same way, the joy of others can become the source of a myriad of joyful rejoicings within oneself. True mudita is a happiness that is not about getting selfish wishes fulfilled, you know, about being successful and privileged, but rather it flourishes the less we are entangled in self-concerns. It's like the natural joy that a small child shows, you know. You smile at her and just naturally and spontaneously she smiles back Yeah, a very natural form of joy or the joy that we might feel when we are out in nature. And we we just take in the beauty and the spaciousness of the moment. Actually, as adults, many of us are often so serious, so earnest, that we have in a way lost the ability of rejoicing, of being happy different from children that can easily tune into that happiness. This is from Yannaponika, Katera. Happiness is infectious and an unselfish joy can easily grow out of it. Children readily respond by their own smiles and happy mood to smiling faces and happiness around them. And yet, although joy and happiness are natural ways of being, we can find it at times difficult to access this quality. Actually, from the four Brahmaviharas, mudita is often said to be the most difficult to cultivate, that it is more difficult than metta or even compassion. Now there are obstacles to mudita, yeah? It could be, for instance, when we feel low, unhappy ourselves, when our mind is all covered and engulfed in anger, in sadness, in hopelessness or so, or when we just have a habit of being discontent, unhappy with things. In such mind states, it's really difficult to even imagine that joy could ever be accessible to us again. We feel so cut off from it. Maybe you have had such moments, right? Where, where it just feels, how can I ever be happy again? Another obstacle could simply be when our energy level is low, when we feel exhausted and somehow our world just feels very dark and constricted. Competition can be an obstacle, when we see life as a race and competition. And then it seems like the happiness in others threatens our own happiness. So somehow we think if they are happy, it means there will be less happiness left for me. So we can resent someone else's success or good fortune, because in that moment it makes us us feel bad about ourselves, yeah? So there is like this idea, it's it's a very unconscious assumption that either they are happy or it's me who is happy. And you know, I, I can see that arise at times. We all probably can see that habit at times. For instance, when, when I hear someone praising and all the Dharma teacher, you know, how great their teachings are and their books and have you read this book and blah, blah, blah. And at times I can notice the inner resistance to this. I don't really want to hear all this enthusiasm for someone else, really. So internally, you know, this becomes something about me. And my thoughts can really go down the road of comparing, comparing myself to another teacher instead of feeling sympathetic joy for them and really just having the wish that their success may continue. And today, you know, in a time of social media, this competition can reach whole new levels, just fueled and multiplied by the endless streams of postings and clips in the web you know if you think of all those posts with people presenting themselves as always happy always celebrating something showing off of their good fortune and then all these happy emojis and hearts everywhere It's so easy to feel bad when everybody out there seems to be having a good time, except for me sitting here behind my computer. And this competition, of course, can bring up a lot of jealousy or envy, which is traditionally called the far enemy of Mudita. We feel envy envy towards those who get the promotion that we were hoping for, or those who are in a happy relationship while we are single, or those who are more attractive than we, we want what they have. And what makes it even worse is if such a person, a seemingly superior person, is kind towards us. You know, then they are not just superior, but they also treat us kindly. That can make it even more difficult to bear. And of course, you know, underlying this jealousy, this comparing, there is a lot of craving. Craving for sense pleasures, for recognition, for success. This craving that... You know, lets us grasp after things, after people, rather than appreciate what is here and now already. So, really, it's basically craving and our tendency to identify, to make it all about me, what stands in the way of joy, of happiness, of mudita. Another obstacle can be an over-earnestness. Over-earnestness, yes. When for us life is just the endless road of duty, of obligations. From early morning to late night, there is always some work to do. And so many burdens that we shoulder because we feel we should be responsible beings. And so we find it hard to just take a break and to just enjoy ourselves from time to time. Just relax, have some fun. And if rarely we do allow ourselves a free minute, we so quickly feel guilty for wasting our time. I don't know whether that sounds familiar to some of you. I have a feeling that in the Dharma world, there are quite a few such people. It's not uncommon because many Dharma practitioners are very conscientious people, and this can make us prone to such a habit of seeing life mostly as a deadly serious issue that we need to cope with, you know, we need to control it through hard work and much effort. But if we always live in this way, if we're unable for once to just put down our burdens, our responsibilities, our roles, who we are in the world, if there is no room for playfulness, for joy, for laughter, for beauty, then things get very dry, very tense. And this tension, even just the physical tension, can actually block us from feeling joy, from feeling happiness. So tension, both mental and physical tension, is another obstacle to mudita. And if we notice this building up in our system, it would be a good idea to do something, to shake it off a little bit. Maybe move, dance, go outside, stretch, relax, listen to some nice music. Just give yourself time for a break. From time to time, just relax. But now, let us look for reasons for appreciative joy, for things that can inspire and nurture this hard quality of mudita. Because it's really the practice that we want to tune into goodness, happiness. In this way, we cultivate mudita. And there are plenty of good reasons to feel joy and happiness, even in times like now, even in the midst of uncertainty. It is just a matter of being open, even just opening our eyes, our senses to the beauty in the world and being aware of it could make us happy. This is what Dostoevsky wrote few lines from the idiot. Do you know, I don't know how one can walk by a tree and not be happy at the sight of it. How can one talk to a man and not be happy in loving him? Oh, it's only that I'm not able to express it. And what beautiful things there are at every step that even the most hopeless man must feel to be beautiful. Look at that child. Look at God's sunrise. Look at the grass, how it grows. Look at the eyes that gaze at you and love you. I don't know how one can walk by a tree and not be happy at the sight of it. There is a huge difference just to say that there is a huge difference between appreciating what is beautiful and being attached to it yes can we simply be touched by the beauty of something without wanting to own it without wanting to hold on to it can we appreciate something without having to take a photo immediately making a selfie with us in the picture and then posting it online, just noticing the beauty, just taking it in, feeling it, appreciating it. This just requires the ability to pause and to fully receive what is there. Actually, The beauty of nature has been a big source of happiness for contemplatives, even in ancient times, even at the time of the Buddha. For instance, for Mahakasappa, who was one of the foremost monks of the Sangha at the time of the Buddha, from what we know, He was a very stern, austere character, very disciplined, a man of great authority and respect. He was called the father of the Sangha. He was not as sociable and likable as Ananda, for instance. So in a way, this makes it quite surprising that he was at the same time the author of verses that celebrate the beauty of the natural world and that show his deep sensitivity and appreciation for nature. So I would like to read to you some verses from the Gata. Strung with garlands of flow, flowering vines, this patch of earth delights the mind. The lovely calls of elephants sound, these rocky crags do please me so. The shimmering hue of darkening clouds, cool waters in pure streams flowing, enveloped by Indra's ladybugs, these rocky crags do please me so. Like the lofty peaks of looming clouds, like the most refined of palaces, the lovely calls of Tuskers sound, these rocky cracks do please me so. The lovely ground is rained upon, the hills are full of holy seers, resounding with the cry of peacocks, these rocky cracks do please me so. Not occupied by village folk, but visited by herds of deer, strewn with flocks of various birds, these rocky crags do please me so. With clear waters and broad boulders, holding troops of monkey and deer, covered with moist carpets of moss, these rocky crags do please me so. But there is not so much contentment for me in the fivefold music as in truly seeing Dhamma with a well-concentrated mind." So, for a contemplative mind, for a still and sensitive mind, the beauty of nature is deeply inspiring, pleasing, supporting the Dharma practice, it is a source of mudita, of appreciative joy. Achan Suchito writes about this. In summary, the core meaning is that when the awakened mind reviews the manifest world, it exhibits a deep appreciation of uncivilized nature. And of course, We can appreciate beauty in many, many ways, wherever we find ourselves in this moment, you know, just where you are right now, or in music, in poetry. If we have the eyes to see the sensitivity, we we can see the loveliness and the beauty, even in unexpected places and times. But it does require that we pay attention, that we are mindful. Another source of mudita besides the appreciation of beauty is blamelessness and ethical integrity, whether in ourselves or in others. I'd like to read to you some verses from the Mangala Sutta, the Discourse on the Blessings. Attending on one's mother and father, looking after one's wife and sons, having work that is not confusing. This is a supreme blessing. Giving and living by the Dhamma and looking after one's relatives, performing actions that are blameless. This is a supreme blessing. Abstaining, refraining from bad deeds, restrained from intoxicating drink. Being heedful regarding all things, this is a supreme blessing. So, living and acting with ethical care, with heedfulness, is really the foundation of happiness and joy. Because it it protects us from the negative consequences of unskillful actions. When we are able to live in such a way that we avoid harming other beings as much as is possible and instead care for other beings, protect them, feed them, we can feel the joy of being free from remorse, free from worry about what might await us as a consequence of something that we have said or done. So we can feel unburdened, you know, our heart is pure and at peace. And this is something we can really appreciate. And also, we can really appreciate our good intentions, the sincerity of our intentions. I don't mean in a grandiose way, you know, like, oh, I'm such an exceptional being also, but just Appreciating, oh, that was a wholesome thing to do. That was kind. That was courageous. And it is actually a practice of mudita also when we take some time in the evening to reflect on our wholesome deeds during the days. You know, maybe that's something you could do every evening before you go to sleep, that you just take a moment to remember all the wholesome things you have done during this. day. And this is not selfish. It's not selfish to see one's own goodness, because if we can see our own goodness, it will make it also easier to see the goodness in others and to be touched by it. And again, seeing the goodness, the ethical integrity in others also can be such a source of joy. It can really lift us up. So that is like a third source of mudita. About 17 years ago, yeah, pretty exactly actually, it was a February retreat. I was in a month long retreat at Spirit Rock. Yeah. I learned an important lesson. It was one of my most difficult retreats because I was in deep grief about someone very close to me. And on top of that, the weather was awful. It was just cold and wet the whole month. At at least that's my memory. And I didn't quite have the right gear. So I was in a really difficult place. Yeah, I was crying. I was feeling cold. I was feeling miserable. And I told my teachers and then I received a note that Guy Armstrong had left a, something in the office. And I went to pick it up and it was a paper bag, which contained long underpants for me. And it said, with best regards from Sally, from his wife to keep me warm, you know, it was just so sweet. And then I had an interview with Carol Wilson and she handed me another paper bag with, again, long underpants from her selection. And on top of that, she brought me a blanket to keep me warm. I remember sitting outside afterwards and for the first time in my life, consciously realizing that goodness exists, that goodness is true. Maybe, you know, to you, that sounds trivial, evident, but for me, it was actually quite profound in that moment to realize that in the midst of my personal catastrophe, there was kindness. There were acts of care. And even if this Couldn't make the pain go away. Just seeing the goodness, feeling it, appreciating it, somehow shifted something in me. It shifted my perception of the world in this moment and it brought some balance. Yes, there is deep pain and suffering. Yeah, no doubt. And simultaneously, There is kindness, compassion, generosity. There are so many beautiful qualities. And wherever we look, close by or far away, each day, in every moment, someone somewhere on this planet is doing something kind, offering help, surprising someone with a cake, calling someone, whatever. Goodness is happening all the time, right now also. And here too, the question is whether we can see this goodness and appreciate it, or whether we just you know, brush it away, dismiss it. Actually, this topic also brings up for me something that Nyanaponika Thera wrote. He was a famous German Theravada monk from the last century. In this troubled world of ours, There are plenty of opportunities for thoughts and deeds of compassion, but there seem to be all too few for sharing in others' joy. Hence, it is necessary for us to create new opportunities for unselfish joy by the active practice of loving kindness and compassion in deeds, words, and meditative thought. So, isn't that beautiful? If we think there aren't enough opportunities for Mudita in this crazy world, why don't we become the ones creating new such opportunities by doing acts of love and kindness? Instead of lamenting the evil in the world, why not become the one who is committed to bring goodness and joy? So let us continue with sources of mudita, reasons for mudita to arise. We had appreciation for beauty, ethical integrity, seeing goodness in ourselves, in others. And of course, appreciation can apply to so many things, even things we overlook or just take for granted, because we have become so used to them. The discourse on the blessings mentions things like not associating with fools, with the wise associating, living in a suitable place, or having great learning and craft, being disciplined and well-trained and more. So many things that we are blessed with, so many things for which we can be grateful. We can appreciate the fact that we or other beings have a body with its senses, a place to live, food, an education. Or we can appreciate and celebrate the birth of a child, the recovery of a sick person. And, you know, the gratitude, Christina spoke about it this afternoon, is also a practice it's an antidote to craving, to wanting, to discontent. Yeah? It gladdens the heart because we become aware, as some of you have also mentioned today, You know how we are the recipients of so many things of support, of love, how we are, who we are today, how we live would have been impossible without the support of parents, teachers, friends, society, and of course the natural world. And they continue to support us moment by moment. You know, the thing is the wanting mind is unable to be grateful because it never will get enough. It never reaches contentment Only gratitude finds contentment. And as we have said, it's not just appreciating our own good fortune, but it's also very much about rejoicing in the happiness and good fortune of others. How do we react when someone tells us that they received great feedback at work or that they have now found a perfect partner, or that their child is a really gifted musician. Can we sincerely share their joy and celebrate this? I am so happy for you. Or do we somehow try to ignore it or diminish it a little bit? It's interesting that psychological research has shown that This ability to share the joy of one's partner or friend is extremely important to make a relationship work. Because we all know how it feels, right? When we are happy about something, and we tell it another person, and this person doesn't really seem interested, doesn't really listen, doesn't resonate. We really feel rejected, we feel ignored. And you know, can we also share someone's joy, even if it is something that we personally wouldn't enjoy? For example, you know, I know a man who loves to eat meat while I'm a vegetarian, but still, when I see him enjoying his steak or his burger or whatever. I feel happy for him. Of course, I think that eating meat is problematic for many reasons. You know, the killing of animals, the greenhouse gas emissions, etc. But I also know that for him, life always has been very difficult with a lot of suffering, being handicapped since his birth. For him, eating meat is one of his few joys in life. So I'm not going to lecture him on his food. Yeah, you should eat more vegetable, you know, but rather I want to share his happiness. I am happy when I really see him enjoying his food, his meat. To me, it would feel very dogmatic and very heartless to insist on my views and my values in this situation. So, rejoicing in all the blessings and joys of life, our own and others. And this is important, not letting dogmatism or envy also get in the way. And to the extent that we can appreciate the happiness of others, our own happiness grows so much as the Dalai Lama once pointed out when he said, you know, there is only one of you, but there are 7 billion or maybe now, I don't know, almost 8 billion other people. And if you can share their joy, if you can delight in their happiness, your happiness will just increase so much. Appreciation also includes all the things we usually don't notice that we just take for granted. The Vietnamese teacher Tik Nhat Hanh famously once said, when we're having a toothache, we know that not having a toothache is a wonderful thing. Yet when we don't have a toothache, we're still not happy. And non-toothache is very pleasant. We just need to change our perception. Yeah? And if you follow this thread of thought, you see that ultimately it leads to an appreciation for the fundamental fact that right now we are alive, awake, aware. Yes, we can appreciate so many things, sights, sounds, tastes, flavors, touches, and so on. But ultimately, the essential fact is that right now we are alive. And this includes the ability to be aware. Yes, we may be very imperfect, wounded, sick, whatever, but we all have this mysterious ability, this gift to be aware. And we can start to notice that being aware in itself is subtly pleasant. There is a subtle joy that comes from just being present rather than being lost and confused. Bikwa mentions this quite often and he emphasizes how important it is that we pay attention to this joy in our meditation practice because the mind basically enjoys being awake, being present. And then when the mind settles into presence, and gathers we start to feel the pleasantness that comes from a collective mind yeah just this this feeling of, of collectedness of unification in itself so nourishing so pleasant so can we find a happiness that doesn't depend on so many external conditions You know, but the serenity and the contentment, the playfulness, that is not so much about me and mine. That doesn't depend on getting things or on having just the perfect conditions. Not in the sense of now being irresponsible and just spending our time with parties and entertainment. We can be very committed to things in life. We can act with a lot of heedfulness and consideration, and we can be very dedicated practitioners and yet do it in a joyful way. It's interesting what what Lama Tilman, a a German Mahamudra master, once told about the three-year retreats. He said several that he sat with Gendun Rinpoche in the 1980s. Gendin Rinpoche was one of those very highly realized Tibetan teachers, and his students practiced with a lot of dedication and devotion, day after day, month after month. But it seems that Gendin Rinpoche got a feeling that his students were getting a bit too serious, that there was a lack of joy in the community. And so he instructed the retreatants to write to their parents or friends and to ask them to send them books with jokes and then to share some jokes during the lunch breaks when they were allowed to speak with each other. And this they did, they began to cultivate joy and happiness in their time together. So being deeply committed to something, engaging wholeheartedly in something, our Dharma practice or anything in life, doesn't preclude joy and happiness, not at all. More on the contrary, joy and gladness actually energize us. They support the cultivation of the heart. And they are also indispensable for inner balance, especially when things are difficult or tough. The the harder the times are, the more challenging the circumstances are, the more important it is to remember the lightness and brightness of mudita. And yes, maybe in such a moment, it's hard just to connect with it. But we can always incline our heart and mind towards it. We can invite mudita to come. And of course, as practitioners, the fact that we have encountered the Dharma, these teachings, is a source of great joy. What an incredible blessing, what an extremely good fortune, really. We can rejoice in the fact that we have found teachings that are trustworthy, that offer us guidance and an orientation in life and in this chaotic world. Traditionally, this is called a precious human birth, when we find ourselves in life circumstances that allow us to practice the Dharma and to walk a path towards freedom and release. And it is considered to be something that is extremely precious and fortunate. If you think of it, in this troubled world, there are so few beings who have access to such teachings, who have the material resources, the time, the interest to engage with them. Yeah? So very few beings. Just to give you you know, a perspective on that. In a discourse, the Buddha compared the probability of attaining such fortunate life conditions with a blind turtle living in a vast ocean. And on the surface of the ocean, there floats a yoke with a hole in it. Now, this turtle lives in this ocean, and it only comes to the surface every 100 years. And then the Buddha asks, now what do you think? Would that blind sea turtle come into the surface once every 100 years, stick his neck into the yoke with a single hole? And his listeners say, it's sheer coincidence for this turtle to stick his neck into the yoke. So extremely small is the probability of having a precious human birth, like this turtle to exactly stick his neck through this yoke floating on the vast ocean. So really to have this practice to know that we are walking a path. And also to have friends, you know, to have other practitioners with whom we share that is really a source of much mudita. And then, of course, you know, this path can bring so many further blessings. The gradual disentanglement of our heart, the deepening of insight, of stability, and the unbinding of the heart and the mind. So... Mudita is really a quality that we can incline our mind towards and allow to grow by consciously opening our eyes and hearts to goodness and beauty and happiness. And our everyday life offers endless opportunities to cultivate mudita. As we have seen, it's just a matter of learning to appreciate what's right there in front of our nose, but it's also a quality when cultivated in meditation that leads to states of spaciousness, of boundlessness, and that has the power to free the heart, mind, at least temporarily from unwholesome states, such as discontent, envy, or jealousy, I would like to again quote Nyanaponika Thera. When unselfish joy grows, many noxious weeds in the human heart will die a natural death or will at least shrink. Jealousy and envy, ill will in various degrees and manifestations, cold heartedness, miserliness, and so forth. Unselfish joy can indeed act as a powerful agent in releasing dormant forces of the good in the human heart. So if we cultivate this beautiful quality of mudita, of appreciation, just all by itself, other unwholesome qualities, Will shrink, they will decrease. It's beautiful. We don't have to fight those, you know, unwholesome qualities. Let's more emphasize really the cultivation of of what is beautiful. And it it is a practice that in itself is joyful. It can really bring a lot of happiness to our everyday life. And just another quote, because I... I liked it too. From the Dalai Lama. The root for all goodness lie in the soil of the appreciation of goodness. The root for all goodness lie in the soil of the appreciation of goodness. Unless we appreciate the good, There will be no movement of the heart towards that. There will be no unfolding in this direction. So, I would like to close with some verses from the Dhammapada. Live in joy, in love, even among those who hate. Live in joy, in health even among the afflicted. Live in joy, in peace, even among the troubled. Look within. Be still. Free from fear and attachment. Know the sweet joy of the way. So let us just sit for a moment.